Hello everyone, welcome to the first podcast episode of Coffee and Pens. It's the 13th interview I've done now, but it's the first time I actually recorded it so that you can listen to it as well. Today I had the honour to talk to Craig Bukes, who wrote Extreme Production a couple of years ago. Since then he's also published a few more books. This interview we talked about finding inspiration and why you should not find your inspiration on Twitter. As usual, it's a quite controversial opinion that Craig holds. We also discussed the power of daily repetitions and some publishing tools you could use for your first book or publication. Let's get to action. So, um, Greg, what is your favourite coffee? I don't, I don't drink coffee. So <laughs> zero coffee for me for about seven or eight years. So if I had to pick one, mine would be decaf coffee. Anything but uh-huh. coffee. I guess as a true Englishman, you drink tea instead. I drink I drink tea, yes. It's got to be Twinings, uh, English breakfast tea. Um, Yorkshire tea is popular around these parts because I live in Yorkshire, but I don't like it. So it's got to be Twinings, English breakfast. I also like a fruit tea too. I realize this is terrible because your your thing is called coffee and pens, but uh, I yeah. like I like pens. I like pens. Oh, okay, awesome. That <laughs> no, doesn't matter. Twinings. They even sell it over here in Peru. Um, so, why did you decide to write uh, extreme production? Oh God. Well, it's it's kind of a bit of a story because I wrote the book in 2017. And I didn't release it until 2020. Uh, I, well, I kind of released it before that, but it, it, I would never promoted it. I didn't have any kind of audience or anything. And I, I wrote it in 2017 because I was kind of figuring some things out about how to be more productive. And I thought I'd figured out a method that was worth sharing. And I wanted to write it purely as kind of a, a diary to myself, almost. A lot of the entries in it were actually blog posts or diaries and things like that and what was quite interesting about the book is I wrote it in 2017 and then I didn't release it because I didn't think it was good enough the the Mm -hmm. same old story of imposter syndrome and all that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then in 2020 I got sick of that and I thought sod it I'm going to release it and I did and some people enjoyed it and that was quite nice (laughs) um So yeah, there, there there wasn't a defined thing. It it wasn't it wasn't ever ever a you know a goal of mine or anything. I still don't consider myself a writer. Okay. Um, and then how long did it take to write this book? I wrote I, I read that you said it took about three times one thousand words per week, so in a total of twenty five weeks. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's about right. But that doesn't count in for the fact that I wrote the book twice. So oh, okay. I, I, I wrote the book once. I didn't like it. Um, so I went through the entire process of writing, uh, you know, a thousand words. And I didn't like it. Scrapped the entire thing and then okay. wrote, I wrote it again. And the kind of the reason I did that, maybe we'll get into it a little bit, is that I didn't think it had any personality. I just thought it was another... It just was another production book. You know, it was another self-improvement book. And I didn't like that. So I binned it and started again. Okay. Yeah, I did realize that it has a lot of personality now. It's, um, it has a lot of view. It's got its unique style uh, where you're not holding back to say anything that you want to say. That's what I felt. 
Um, so when did you start the second time? Was this in 2017 as well? Yes, yes, it was. It was one of the main projects that I had in 2017. One of the only ones other than podcasting. I was podcasting at the same time as well. I was podcasting daily. And a lot of the kind of revelations for this idea of extreme production came from doing podcasting every day. And I was I was podcasting about it and then writing a chapter about it. And then sometime I'd write a chapter and then podcast. So they both fed off each other. It was really interesting. Um, I, yeah, I, and I, I managed to wrap it up in 2017 and then literally did nothing with it <laughs> at all. Okay, that's funny. And then you just left it for three years and last year you you decided to publish it anyway uh, yeah great yeah what, what were your tools um, to write this book i i absolutely love ulysses so i, I use a, a thing on mac called ulysses and uh it's just a markdown editor i love writing in markdown because I, 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 I used to be used to be a web developer i prefer things in as close to a plain text format as possible because now I spend most of my life as a designer, I like the fact that I can make it into as many different formats as I want. And one of the things I always wanted to do when I was writing it was release it as a real book, as an ebook, as an EPUB book, as a Moby book, not just a PDF. I didn't just want the PDF. Yeah. So I made sure that I used Ulysses because it's got really good options for doing all those things. Another thing to say is that the most recent book I wrote, The Magic Visual, I used something called Vellum, which is probably something yeah. that Arvid Carl mentioned because uh, Arvid turned me on to it. And I actually think Vellum is a better product now, having written the latest book in that. But still, Ulysses is a solid option. Okay, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I've heard about Vellum before. And actually it was... Andy Strode, one of my most recent interviewees that mentioned it to me, and Arvin didn't. So Arvin mentioned to me that he used um, another Markdown editor. I think it's called Markdown itself. Yeah. So um, it's funny to see that people from a development or a developer background love to write in these plain text uh, formatting tools. And uh, it's like some, some great, some super technological tool well, to write I books like Scrivener, for example. I tried. I tried. Is that how you say it? I've never known how to pronounce it. I tried Scrivener or Scrivener, however the hell you say it. I tried it twice. I tried it with Extreme Production, and I tried it with Magic Visual, and I just got lost in all the options uh, and how to set up my book. And I, all I was doing was organizing the book instead of writing it. And that's what I really like about plain text files. No matter what app you use. You, you, you just sit down and write. There's nothing else to do. You can't mess around with the format and things like that. You've just got to write. And I, I, yeah. I, th I think that's one of the problems sometimes with something like Scrivener. Unless you're writing a novel, you know, you've, you've, got to, you've got to write scenes and plots and characters and all that kind of thing. I've only ever written nonfiction, so it's not really the same. But I do find Scrivener a good idea because it was the format thing on the other end as well. Scrivener's got loads of different options for formats, outputting the formats, but it's just so damn complicated. Yeah, I think you made a very good point there that this is probably a very good tool for fiction, but then when you're writing nonfiction, you don't need all this organizing um, and story formats and character development and everything. 
So an easier tool like Ulysses that you used is something I've I've noticed with other nonfiction writers as well. Um, so apart from this, from finding this correct tool, what was your biggest obstacle to write your first book? There was kind of two stages to it. There was, I, I had a, a huge, furious writing process. Like I said, writing a thousand words nearly every day. Um, and, and I stuck to that all the way through. So actually getting the words down on paper wasn't difficult. But then going back and editing it and deciding what I wasn't going to put in it and what was missing or, or the gaps and things like that, I absolutely hate that process. And it, 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 was, it was the first first thing I'd ever written I knew nothing about editing I didn't know how to do it properly all that kind of thing so I just tried to do it on myself and I, I, I just got lost in the middle of of editing and, and drafting it and things like that that's partly also why it took me so long because I got to the end of the first draft I never considered the idea of a shitty first draft a shitty first draft I just thought that I'd written the book that was it and I didn't like it so my process essentially was to rewrite the book, which I guess was a second draft. But if I would have, if I would have known about that a little bit earlier to expect it to be fairly rubbish, maybe the process would have been quicker. So really there was two stages. There was the editing process, which I absolutely hated. And then actually finalizing the book. So after you've done all the editing, after you've done all the drafting, actually deciding what formats you were going to put it in, how you was going to release it, making the cover art, all that kind of thing. Even though I'm a designer, it was just wrapping up the project. Um, I actually, some people might not agree with this, but I actually think writing the words, at least for my first book, was the easiest thing. Actually formatting the words and, and corralling them into some sense was the hard thing. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and then moving on to your second and third book, what did you do differently? So the the second the second thing I wrote, which was press start, which was a very short thing, was only about hundred pages. That was uh, a visual, and about four hundred words, three hundred to four hundred words on every page. So it was super easy to write, and it was it was an experiment really how I could link my visuals to my words and and vice versa. The the third book was really the second one, which was the magic visual, which was a reference guide all about how to create visuals online and how, you know, the theory and all that kind of thing. And on the third book, I, the, the one thing I didn't do with the first one was create a, an outline. Cause again, I didn't know what I was doing. The thing that I, I spent the longest time on with the magic visual was writing an outline, a really solid outline of all of the chapters of all of the parts. And I spent a long time, probably a couple of months working on that on and off to make sure that the, the structure of the book flowed. So because I did all that upfront work, I could actually see the book before I'd written any of the words without writing, okay. without needing to write the entire book, which helped massively helped a ton. Um, and, and then the other thing I changed was using vellum. So okay. vellum took all of the need for layout out of anything it took all of the worry about outputting files out it was just so easy to use i dropped the text in i even wrote a lot of the chapters inside vellum and then at the end of it you just hit output and you've got the files it's brilliant i couldn't recommend it enough 
Okay, awesome. Did you at any stage decide to use an editor or a proofreader? No, I considered it. I considered it a lot for the magic visual. And I think whenever I decide what the next thing is that I'm going to write, I don't know what it's going to be. I think the project will be bigger and I will use an editor this time. I, I By this time writing the third one, I, I generally knew a lot of the process. You, you know, I, I could proofread it and there's probably spelling mistakes in there, but I know there's not that many. Um, but I think that the, the bit that I was missing was... was um, an editor to look over the structure of it, really. Not necessarily someone to look at the spelling mistakes and things like that, but a second pair of eyes. And I did a little bit of that with the Magic Visual because I released it as a beta book, a little bit okay. a little bit like what Arvid did with the, um, the his latest book, The Embedded mm -hmm. Entrepreneur. And that was useful because some people told me what they didn't want and what they wanted. So I got some of that feedback, but I would hire an editor, I think, for the next one, to help me with the structure of it yeah okay perfect now rounding up these uh, more technical uh, questions about writing your book i want to talk a little bit about inspiration and especially how you find inspiration and how do you think it's different for designing versus writing yeah it's strange with writing um so I, I, like I said at the beginning, I don't see myself as a writer. I don't see myself as an author. Um, I, I just see a medium and I communicate an idea in the most appropriate medium for the thing that I'm creating. So sometimes that is a visual, sometimes that's a podcast, sometimes a YouTube video, sometimes a book. So when I was thinking about the magic visual and trying to find inspiration for it, the thing that I had in my head was nobody has written a book about how the theory and the fundamentals of how to make visuals, how to design things that people notice online, basically. And I thought for a while, how am I going to structure it? And the inspiration for the, the kind of layout of the book ended up coming from, in fact, I've got the book here, something a little bit like this. So this is The Intellectual Life. Um, okay. I don't know how to pronounce the, the author's name, it is Sertalanges, maybe. Um, the, so the inspiration for that particular book came from this. I read a lot of old books. This is from 1946. Um, and the structure of the book is very practical. It talks about how to live an intellectual life, how to become a writer, how to become a, a person of knowledge, basically. And the book is like super practical. Like, should you work at night? Should you work on a morning? How much sleep should you okay. get? All that kind of thing. Um, so I got inspiration for the book really from quite unusual places and I do that for a lot of things. I did a thing recently on Twitter, a Twitter spaces where somebody asked me where do you get your inspiration from and I said I just never read tweets and they were quite surprised. And okay. I think Twitter if you take anything from this, I think Twitter is a poor source for inspiration because everybody is in an echo chamber saying the same things over and over and over. And if you're not careful, no matter what your next project is, be it a book or a course or whatever, you'll end up just making a thing that somebody else has already made because they're all consuming the same things over and over and saying the same things, reading the same threads. So my inspiration, I always try very hard to hunt in weird and unusual places. Old books is a good one for me 
I spend way too much money on old books. <laughs> Both visual books oh. and actual book uh-huh. books. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I agree about Twitter. I found Twitter so interesting in the first two, three months. And then you start to realize that, as you said, what you read is something that someone has already said two months ago, three months ago, last year. And it's becomes very hard to actually find a new inspiration, like you said. Um, and yeah. very interestingly, um, your point about when you write a book on um and you find a lot of inspiration on Twitter, you're going to write something that has already been said. I, I have never thought about it that way, but I think you're, you're right about it. Now, talking about your uh, current writing habits, how much do you write per day around now? Uh, well, I write around 10 tweets per day. So if you count tweets... <laughs> or uh, everything counts. Yeah, so I, I tend to write three, you know, 380 times 10, whatever that is. Uh, three thousand eight hundred characters. Um, I, I tend to write tweets, but I don't. I don't really consider that proper writing because it, it uses a very different part of your brain. I write twice a week on my newsletter on a Monday and a Friday, and they're usually about a thousand words. So really, at the minute, I'm not writing that much. Um, for for a long, for a long time, this is why I don't consider myself a, to be a writer. Uh, unless I want to write a book or something long form. I really struggled to maintain a, a strict schedule for writing regularly, and I'd love—I'd love to do it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what the blocker is in my head, but I prefer the structure of writing something a little bit bigger once or twice a week that just keeps it top of mind, rather than writing a little bit every day. Um, and I don't know why that is, um, but yeah, I write twice a week at the minute, and I don't really write that much. Okay, um, so you write about 1,000 words twice a week, which is 2,000 words, yeah. which is still going to be a lot more than the average person. Um, yeah, maybe. And I completely forgot what I was going to ask about it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's my rambling answers. It's my fault. So, um, so yeah, I, w- I was going to ask, how much time do you spend on those 1,000 words? I... Um... I have quite an unusual way of writing and many, many people, writers better than me, are probably not going to agree with me. But when I write anything, including a book, I write it in kind of one sitting. So I'll write a chapter in one sitting or I'll write a thing in one sitting. And I very rarely go back and edit it in terms of structure, in in terms Mm -hmm. of adding a new intro or adding a different ending or changing the middle or anything like that because I kind of get this burst of inspiration and I feel like when I get the burst of inspiration, as soon as you've not got that inspiration anymore, the spark out of the thing that you're writing is lost somehow. There's, you know, I'm, I'm very careful to only write something when I'm quite inspired to talk about it because I, I, I think you can just tell, you can just tell in somebody's writing when they've got conviction and when, they've got a spark and when they've got something that needs to be said, like they feel they need to say it uh, versus a James Clear article that is very well researched, but is dull as ditch water. And it's just teaching you something. I, I talk about it content being content for aliens, writing for aliens. They all, it all feels so impersonal 
There's, there's, there's no, there's no personality behind it. There's no sense that James Clear has written it. It could be anybody. So I'm always, I'm always very careful when I write something that I sit down in one sitting in like a mad, a mad spree of, of just, just bashing a keyboard and then done, finished. I don't care if the structure is not perfect, but I, that for me, there's a quotation that I read a while ago. I can't remember who said it. Um, and the quotation is writing is frozen speech. And I always like to think of writing like that, that when you read something that, that I've written or that hopefully when you read something that somebody else has written, you know, a classic thing, you can kind of imagine them saying it to you. And I think you lose a bit of that if, if you sit and edit something over and over and over. So I kind of sit down and literally speak an article to myself through my fingers and then just stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's important that you say this. I'm on the same spectrum as a writer. So when I write, I can go over one sentence maybe five, six times while I'm writing, but in the same like sitting, like you said. And it's hard for me to come back to something in the end and start editing it because I prefer to edit while I write. Yeah, and same. many people um, will tell you off will say, no, that's not the way to write. And I think it's important that aspiring authors realize that it's not entirely wrong, that it's just your own system that needs to work and not what other people tell you that you should do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've always got to be careful about reading writing tips, I think, because I think writing, well, writing is thinking. And there, there isn't, a, a, a right or wrong way to think about something. So if, if you are the kind of person that sits down and thinks about something intensely for 30 to 60 minutes and then just writes it, then you do you. But a lot, a lot of those kind of articles that you read that say that's not the right way, they're, they're writers that's writing about writing that's never written about anything else but writing. So the authority for me is nothing. If, you know, if, if you're reading something, unless you're reading a classic, you know, like Stephen King on writing or something like that, maybe I'd appreciate his opinions on it. But you've got to be careful about who you read those kind of opinions from. Because if you're not, you you know, you, you're just reading somebody's opinions about writing on writing, which I've usually discount. Especially if it's a Twitter thread. I'll definitely discount a Twitter thread. <laughs> Okay, so it's a surprise you you actually follow me on Twitter. <laughs> um, but anyway, I do, you made a good point about um, following people's writing advice, and I'm going to ask you for yours in just a little bit as well. Um, but those opinions, I think they can be quite useful, but you always need to be a bit critical about them. I can find interesting ideas from other people's writing advice, but I still need to figure out if that's going to work for me or not. So I can't just take that advice blindly and implement it in my life. But I can definitely find ideas that will work for me that I could not think of by myself. So having said this, what would be your top three writing tips for someone who's listening or reading? Oh God. I'll caveat it by saying exactly the thing I just said. My opinion means nothing and you need to try out these ideas and see if they work for you. The first thing, there's a, there's a collection of writing by uh, Schopenhauer or Schopenhauer, however you say it. And he's got a, he's got a section in his uh, collected writings on writing. 
it's it's brilliant. It's pretty short, but it's brilliant. So check that out. Uh, number two, what's been quite powerful for me is writing how I speak. Another another thing that a lot of writers will tell you not to do, um, but I write how I speak. So I I literally try and speak the article as I'm writing it. I don't I don't I don't mean literally actually. I shouldn't say that, but yeah. I I'm thinking the article as I'm writing it. So I I see an article as as I'm giving a speech to a room of people. So speak the article as you write it. And then number three, I don't know if I have a third one. Have a strong ending. Okay. <laughs> and that's that's a weird tip actually. The reason I say that is because I even though I don't I don't call myself a writer, I actually one of the first creative acts I ever did on the internet, which was about probably fifteen years ago now, longer, was writing for video game magazines. I used okay. to I used to love reading video game reviews in, in magazines because they they've just got a really cool style to them because there's lots of personality. They, they you know they write how they speak. And the other thing that I picked up from it is they always had strong endings, even though they were reviews, reviews of video games, which is utterly dull. They always had a strong ending. And when you look at any any good piece of work, you know, they always the the really the only thing you remember is the last bit. You only remember the last sentence, the last paragraph, the crescendo that comes towards the end, the surprising twist. So, yeah, even though mine's a, lo- a long rambling ending, I have a strong ending. Okay, perfect. Can you remind um, or remember any of those strong endings right now? Any ideas or any examples? One thing I like to do is to take creative ideas from other mediums that isn't writing and the the thing that instantly springs to mind even though the film is fairly average inception i'm thinking of inception i'm going to spoil the ending if you've never seen it so sorry but the 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 whole idea of the film is he has this little spin top that he spins around to know whether he's inside a dream basically and at the very end of the film he spins the spin top around and if the spin top falls over he means it means that he's in the real world. If the spin top stays spinning, it means he's in a dream world. So he spins the spin top, and the camera's focused on it, and it goes one second, two second, three second, and it's still spinning. And it gets to about five seconds, and you go right, it's going to fall over now, and the screen goes black. End. You never find out whether it falls over or it keeps spinning. And when I went to the cinema to see that, everybody in the audience just went, oh. <laughs> Because you just don't, you don't know you don't know yeah. what happens, and I absolutely love loved that ending because there's you know there's there's a feeling a lot of the time when you're writing stories or even when you're writing nonfiction that the the ending has to be neatly packaged up that you have to somehow close everything out. There's got to be a resolution because that's what humans like. But some of the most powerful endings I can think of and that stuck with me even though, like I said, the film's fairly average, is the ones where you don't find out the solution. Because now you've got an open loop inside your brain where you want to find out the solution, but you can never find it out <laughs> because you've never been given it. I think those those kind of endings are really powerful. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think that's why I like short stories. They tend to have these open endings where you never really find out. And it's not something natural in nonfiction, as you said but it might be something interesting to explore. 
Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing as well, it's not really an ending, but just on that point that you mentioned, is when nonfiction takes the ideas of short stories or takes the ideas of storytelling. So it isn't just a normal book. Uh, you know, it's just not a normal nonfiction book where it's telling you something and you're learning something. The one that I think of off the top of my head is the E-Myth. That's the E-Myth. It's a really old book. Um, and it's about how to structure a business, essentially. Huge bestseller, sold millions of copies. The book's actually a story. It's written like uh -huh. a story, whereas you never see that style most of the time in nonfiction. And it, it's written like a story. And another one that I'm reading right now is Luke Burgess's book, Wanting. That is also got full of stories, basically, full of short stories. And it just makes it more engaging, even though it's mm -hmm. a nonfiction book. Yeah, I think those um, two of the first books I read, Jamie Russo's book, of course, um, that you've probably read as well, also has this storytelling inside his, his nonfiction book, and yeah. that's pretty cool. And then someone who I find did it even better was Corey McComb, uh, who wrote Productivity is for Robots. Yes, I've read that. And I absolutely love his writing style. He's so poetic, and so poetic, he's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And that is, I think, the perfect example of a nonfiction book that's full of storytelling and like engaging stories, relatable stories, things that motivate you, that make you think. And I think, I think, um, I think what's really cool as well about Kari's book is that there is an attention to detail to individual sentences and words, almost like poetry, that you, mm. that you never see in nonfiction. In fact, you don't even see it in a lot of stories, to be perfectly honest. There's there is a, a poetry level of word picking in his book that you just don't see very often. Exactly, he's he's a real artist when it comes to words. Um, changing the topic a little bit, since your first book was about productivity, what productivity advice would you have for aspiring authors? The thing I always say is set a schedule, write daily even though I don't write daily, <laughs> do something daily. So I, to give you context, I do lots of things daily. I write tweets daily. I, I make visuals daily. I used to podcast daily. So any skill that I want to improve, I do it daily for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. So I, I did used to blog daily for a while to improve my writing. So I, I think it's a very powerful model. Atomic Habits is apparently a good book about this, although I've never read it. Um, it's um it's a very powerful model because you can just do 100 words a day 200 words a day and you just automatically improve it doesn't matter what you write you don't need to be writing a novel or anything you can just i don't know, even sit down and write a journal when i first started writing journaling i, I found it had quite a profound effect on the way i writ i wrote quite quickly which really surprised me um so the obvious productivity advice is to do the thing you want to get better at. <laughs> uh, and I, I know it, it's, it's not sexy. Uh, uh -huh. it, it's not going to make anybody leap up and down. But I've proven it for 15 years that you can improve at something by just doing it every day. But it's hard. Okay. It's funny that you mentioned uh, journaling because that's exactly what I wanted to ask next. next. Do you still um, journal right daily? I do, I do, I do actually. I, I, I must admit I fell off the habit for a while. Um, during the pandemic, I barely, barely wrote anything in a journal. 
Um, don't know why that was. I don't think it's related to the pandemic. I just fell off the the bandwagon, so to speak. And now I decided to start writing, as in writing in a, in on paper, you know, proper writing. Mm-hmm. So I actually just write in a in a journal now, uh, in, in an actual diary. And one thing that I've I've tried to do is instead of trying to capture the whole day, instead of trying to, you know, recollect everything that happened. So got up at 7am, was grumpy, that kind of thing. I decided to almost sketch an idea out now. So what I do is I think back on the day and I try to write something about something that's happened on the day, but focus on the detail. Instead of trying to capture the entire day, which was largely dull and boring, Mm. I try and pick one thing out that was interesting and write a little, you know, 50 words, 100 words or something about that. It makes it so much more enjoyable for me. I think I had a similar approach to journaling. And just like you, when the pandemic started, or maybe like a few months in, I stopped doing it. And I'm wondering, maybe it's just because our lives got... Boring is not the right word, but yeah, less engaging. Like you're not leaving the house as much, so there's not as much to talk about. Like every day is the same. You're working on the same projects, and even though you're you're going forward, even though new things are happening, like you already process them because that's the only thing you think about. And maybe there's no need to journal about it. Yeah, I, I, I was actually going to say exactly the same thing. I barely left my house, so nothing was really happening. Whereas the you know the thing I wrote yesterday it was about meeting a guy I went for a you know a meeting with somebody at work and he was just a really surprising character and that was the thing that I wrote about yeah. that's not happened for the last year and a half <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah it, I think it probably is related to that to getting outside and and viewing things again I think one way I like to look at it is kind of sketching something sketching something with words rather than actually uh-huh. you know, drawing something. How important do you think that journaling is and even having those conversations for writing and even designing as well? I've gone through stages where I have journaled every day for years. I've gone through stages where I've not done it for years as well. And I could honestly say that I didn't feel like a lesser person when I'd done either, either or, essentially. I don't think there's much value for me personally. This this is only my opinion. I don't think there's much value in reminding yourself about what happened on your day. I, I'd, we we've got enough touch points now. We've got the photos in our phone that we take. We've got the tweets we've written, all those kind of things. I think we've got enough touch points, digital touch points, that we don't need to just write the dull stuff. What I have found useful in journaling is whenever I've gotten creative with it, whenever I've decided to sit down and actually write something that nobody will ever see, but I actually write a little bit of a story about something that actually happened. I actually sit mm-hmm. sit down and see it as a creative act rather than a, a reporting act, really. I found a lot of value in that. I haven't found much value in just writing about the day, honestly. Um, uh-huh. And even to the extent where I used to use Day One to do this. So there's an there's an app on, on Mac. I think it's on Android as well now called Day One. And I used to sit down and write a journal entry and it pulls in 
the weather, it pulls in your photos, it pulls in your, your Instagram photos if you want it to, your tweets. And I'm like sat there staring at it thinking, this is my day. This is what happened. I don't need to uh-huh. write anything else. So what am I going to write? So yeah, journaling's a weird one. I think if you are wanting to improve as a writer, you're better off spending the time you would journal to write something creative, even if that's only 100 words. Because... Mm. You know, time is limited for most people, especially creative energy is limited. So any extra pointless writing that you're doing is going to sap that. Yeah. I've I found the same with, with journaling. The, the only use I get from it is when I actually write down um, physical or health-related things. So when I say, for example, this day I had a toothache for example yeah. but this day I felt some pain there and then when I look back in my journal I can I kind of figure out a consistency or see like okay this happened to me three weeks ago and then maybe try to find like stretch points and say okay this is maybe because of this that it happened but otherwise I'd never look back at my journals do you look back at, at your pages in your journal or do you just use it as daily exercise one thing I've changed which answers, which answers your point. I now use a traveler's notebook, which has got two notebooks attached together inside it. In one notebook, I actually write my tweets down. So before I tweet them, I write them down, which somehow makes me write more insightful things that, that, that don't feel as, th- as throwaway as a tweet probably does. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I do is, is write the, um, the little entry that I said, like a sketch, a sketch with words. I do look back at it now, because I'm actually writing quite interesting things. Okay. Before, when I, so even in the journal that I've got right here on the desk, even a couple of months ago, I wasn't doing this. There was just a boring entries. I'm, I've never been back to those. Why would I read those? Mm-hmm. In fact, let's yeah. have a look. What, what do they say? The, the very beginning, let's have a look. Uh, had an unproductive meeting. Cool. So why, why am I ever going to go back to read that? It's just nonsense. It's just pointless yeah. writing. The only time, I, the only things I go back and read is the insights. And I think that's truly the value of it, isn't it? That writing yeah. your, you're writing your insights down so you can either go back to them and review them later or turn them into something else. Uh-huh. All right. It's, it's about time to round up. Um, those were most of my questions. And I thank you for your insightful information answer so far. I always like your a little bit sometimes contrarian um, stance on Twitter where you try to go against the mainstream and everything. Um, so thank you again. And let's let's finish off with my last and favorite question. What's your secret? <laughs> my secret is that, I, well, I reveal it every day on Twitter. It's doing something daily, man. Doing something daily, creating every day, create something for you. And I'm going to add a bonus secret. Just one more thing. Create for you and don't make it for anybody else. No audience, nobody else. Make it for you. That's it. Um, what do you mean by this? Like not publish it or no, no, you just can... create it for yourself and then publish it no matter what they say? Publish it. Publish it if you feel comfortable. Um, 
I aggressively publish nearly everything, but I know that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. But even when you publish something, make it for you first and not any idea of an audience. Don't worry about the audience you're going to build. Just make it because you want to make it because I honestly believe that when you look at creations or art or whatever word you want to use, you make the best stuff when you make it because you want to make it because you've got the enthusiasm for it. You've got, there's just a, there's a zeal to it. That there's a, there's a passion to make it. Whenever you make it for other people, whenever you make it for an audience, whenever you make it because you feel like you have to, it's always worse. So yeah, make it for you. All right. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share before I close up? Uh, don't think so. An apology. I've got a cold, so I'm probably quite difficult to understand. Uh, I've got a cold and the weather's really hot in the UK, so it's quite surprising. But other than that, no, it's been lovely. Thank you. Okay, no, thank you. All right, I stopped the recording here. It's just... Hey, thank you very much for listening. I'm usually a quite good speaker and... Ever since the pandemic, I've been struggling to put my words into words, my thoughts into words. Um, I've tried to record this a couple of times, and you know what? I just said, fuck it. I'm just going to talk to myself a little bit, ramble a bit like I'm doing right now, and that's going to be the end of this first episode. So thanks again for listening. If you liked it, please hit subscribe. Um, to stay on track of future episodes you can also check out the coffee and pens website on the website you'll find the full articles of the 12 past interviews and you'll find um, the article based on this interview which will have all the links um, to the books that Craig mentioned which will have a few of my personal views which might have a few beautiful um, visuals by my friend uh, Satya as well um, so that's it for, for this time. I'll always try to keep these interviews under 45 minutes um, because I'm conscious of your time and I think it's very difficult to uh, capture all the information of longer podcast episodes. So um, I'm very aware that I'm rambling more and more right now. So just thank you again for listening and hit that subscribe button, please. See ya.